Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 135 of the Box Heart Podcast. I'm your host Joey Coastman. I'm joined as always by Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how you doing? I'm good, Joey. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. Episode 135, which of course is the weight limit for lightweight. And of course there was a real huge, huge, huge lightweight showdown that happened that we will be speaking about in a few moments time but we will start the reviewing over in las vegas called the sam's town hotel and gambling hall in nevada like i say las vegas usa two fights to mention on this bill in particular andrew tabiti moved to 16 and 0 it was a ko against latif coyote 21 and 2 now both guys here are cruiserweights um you know, there was no belt on the line or anything like that. So, you know, the guys actually weighed in just over the cruiserweight limit. So they actually came in as heavyweights. But it ended up being a KO in round six for Andrew Tabiti, a man that's really impressing me. I remember his win over Steve Cunningham. He looked quite good there. And he looked good again here. A six-round KO, like I say, against Latif Coyote, who's no slouch himself. Um... It's three losses on the bounce now, though, for Coyote. He was twenty-one and zero at one point, um, I believe. I think he was twenty. I think he was actually twenty and zero. And then he fought Luis Ortiz, and he got stopped in the first round. And then that um, that that outcome got overturned because Luis Ortiz found a doping test. And then I think he had a fight after that, and he won. So he was actually twenty-one and zero, and now he's just been served up three losses. In a row. Um, the main event over here, though, Tony Harrison, 26-2, and former world title challenger, a man that was on our show a couple weeks back. He took on Ishe Smith, 29-9, and former world champion, a man, again, that was on our show the week before Tony Harrison. So we had a great deal of interest in this fight. It was very, very hard to pick a winner, to be honest, you know, going into the fight, not just because, you know, they're both friends of the show, but simply because it was a real tough fight, and the judges saw it that way as well. It ended up being a split decision over 10 rounds. Tony Harrison, though, picking up the verdict. Two judges going with him, one judge giving um, the decision to Ishe Smith. I'm going to hold my hands up and say I haven't yet seen the fight, so I'm wondering if... Um, if if Ishe's got another point about real bad judging in his hometown that he made um, a real valid point or two about when we spoke to him on this show. Moving over now, though, to the 2300 Arena in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, USA. One fight to mention over here. Devin Haney proceeded to 19-0. and He picked up the... Um, the NABF lightweight title, it was vacant before the bout, and he also picked up the USBA lightweight title that was also vacant before the bout. He took on a man called Mason Menard, who, you know, he's been around the block, I suppose, a little bit of a padded record, 33-2. and two. It was a ninth round retirement, though. 
in favour of Devin Haney. So Mason Menard didn't want to come out for the 10th and final round, which I do find quite strange. But it does look like a very, very good win on paper for Devin Haney, who, of course, after that, was seen on Twitter having a bit of a back and forth with Shakur Stevenson. I don't know if you got to saw any of that, as Those two guys were really going at each other on Twitter. It was actually very entertaining. Um, it was funny because they wasn't mentioning each other. They were just talking about each other like back and forth, but everyone knew that they were talking about the other one. And then all of a sudden, I think it was Devin maybe said something that really did get under Shakur's skin. And then he just he just decided to quote tweet him and then it really did get personal. Interesting stuff, though. A great win there for Devin Haney. Moving over now, though, to the Sugar House Casino in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Two shows in, in Philadelphia that we've mentioned here. Um... Top of the bill over here, Michael Fox, that's a brother of Alantis Fox. Uh, Michael Fox is that guy who is a bit of a freak of nature, to be honest. He, he's 140 pounds and he's six foot four, I believe, or six foot three and a half, something crazy like that. God knows how he makes the weight, but he took on a guy called Anthony Mercado. It ended up being a unanimous decision over eight rounds for Michael Fox. He's still undefeated, um, 17 and 0 now he is. Moving over now, though, to Colombia. One fight to mention over here. Real tough guy um, in the featherweight division. Miguel Mariaga, 25 and 3, knocked out Delinson Buriel, who was only 7 and 3 with one draw going in. It was a fourth round KO for Miguel Mariaga. Great win for him. Moving over now to Germany. Avni Yildirim, a man that we haven't really seen since he got sparked out by Chris Eubank Jr. Well, he moved to 19 wins inside 20 fights. That one loss coming to, as I say, Eubank Jr. He took on Ryan Ford, and he actually went the distance and won a unanimous decision over 12 rounds. He successfully defended his WBC International Super Middleweight title. Ryan Ford, another guy that is now coming off of three losses in a row. Just like I say about Latif Coyote, this guy here, he's been served up three losses in a row as well. It's a bit of a theme here. Um... Also, moving over to Latvia now, a couple fights to mention over in Latvia. Quite a good card, to be honest. I'm going to give the Latvians some credit for putting this one on. Konstantin Ponomarev, he moved to 34-0. and It was an eight-round unanimous decision over a guy. I think it was a late replacement, a guy called Ambrosi Sutidzi, I think it said. His record, 11-13 and with five draws, okay? And that is not very impressive from Ponomarev. He moved, um, like I say, to 34-0. and 0. It looks like a humongous mismatch on paper, but, you know, a unanimous decision over eight rounds. I'm surprised he didn't get the stoppage there. Uh, also on this bill, for the vacant WBO international middleweight title, Arta Akovov became victorious against Gonzalo Correa, who had a record of 12-1, and 1, but Akovov, a unanimous decision over 10 rounds, saw him move to 19-2. and 2. And the main event over here, a guy that I hadn't heard of previously, called Issa Shaniev, 12-1. He fought for the IBF Intercontinental Lightweight title and the WBO International Lightweight title. In the other corner, more importantly, and more well-known, of course, Ishmael Barroso, 20-1 with two draws. That one loss, of course, coming to Anthony Crawler in Manchester. Manchester a couple years back now. It was a unanimous decision win for Issa Shaniev. So he puts the second loss on Ishmael Barroso's resume. Quite surprising that one. Maybe Shani 
Nurmagomedov will be someone to look out for. Like I say, only had 14 fights now. Quite remarkable to you know to to, to beat Barroso there. And moving over now to Poland, former world champion Krzysztof Glowacki. He moved to win number 30. He's got one loss, and that one loss was to Usyk. No shame in that for the WBO cruiserweight title. In the other corner in this one though, Santander Silgado, 28 and 4. Well, bad night for him. A very early one. A first round knockout in favour of Glowacki. So quite explosive stuff from him. Um, Moving over now, though, to the Bolton White's Hotel in Lancashire, United Kingdom. Trying to go through this quite quickly. I'm just going to fly through the undercard. Yusuf Sapper, he moved to 8-0. It was a points win over 8 rounds against Jose Aguilar. Aguilar was also down in the 8th round, which... I think it's quite a rarity. I don't think he goes down on the deck too often. So credit there to Yusuf Safra, a man that I was talking about last week. He's been seriously inactive. I want to see him fight a lot more often. Savannah Marshall, her first fight under Peter Fury. She moved to 2-0. and It was a TKO in round two against Esther Konekna who is now 1-7 and seven with one draw. A bit of a poor resume there. Reese Cartwright moved to 21-1. and one. He managed to knock out in three rounds Juan Monzon. Uh, that was a good win for him. Peter McDonough took on Peter Kramer, the Battle of the Peters. Peter Kramer, 8-0 and though, undefeated. Peter McDonough, certainly been around the block, 28-28 and with one draw. I was hoping that he'd either win or lose, so that he'd either have a winning record or a losing record. But anyway, it wasn't to be. It was a very controversial points draw over 10 rounds. A lot of people moaning about that one. Peter McDonough certainly, um, you know, very, very annoyed with that. He believes... He was robbed there. And the main event, Sam Sexton, 24-3, put his British heavyweight title on the line against 20-1 Huey Fury. Sam Sexton was down once in the fourth round and once in the fifth round where the referee had seen enough. So a TKO in round five and Huey Fury picks up the British heavyweight title. Ayaz, I know that you watched this one. What did you make of Huey Fury's performance over Sam Sexton? Oh, I think it was a very, very good performance. Obviously, knock him out in the fifth round with a great right hand. He's, he, re, he reminded me a bit of Tyson Fury, obviously. We know that Fury, um, Huey Fury's getting trained by his dad, Peter Fury. And you can tell, like, um, Huey Fury's, obviously, up since that loss from Joseph Parker, he was boxing him as well. Like, he was landing with that right hand. But then in the fifth round, it was obviously when Huey Fury was near the buckle, hit him with a right hand and dropped him. Well, a great win for Huey Fury and with the British, uh, British title. Yeah, I mean, the way I saw the fight, Sam Sexton was on the front foot constantly. He seemed to be he seemed to be stalking Huey Fury in the early part of the fight. Huey was was kind of boxing off the back foot. You'd you'd feel you know just popping out the jab. Um, I say that Sexton was stalking Huey Fury. He didn't do a great job of cutting the ring off. He just seemed to be following him round really, and Huey was just completely you know just jabbing his head off, really throwing the the jabs in doubles and even triples. And you know, like you say, Ayaz, he would throw the odd the odd power punch in there, but it seemed to be quite a quite a you know like a slow paced kind of. Um, lackluster fight for the early few rounds, rounds one, two, three, four, probably all the rounds really just before the knockout came in round five. There wasn't too much landed from either guy. I felt that Huey was pretty much cruising it, but it wasn't very eye-catching. 
In round four, uh, that was actually the round where Huey landed a 1-2 combination that seemed to visibly hurt Sexton. And Sexton stumbled to the ropes and Huey landed another 1-2 that put him down. Um, Sexton was wobbly when he got back up, but there was only about four seconds, I think, left in that fourth round. So he kind of got saved by the bell a little bit there. Um, in the fifth round, though, Huey certainly upped the pace and he piled the pressure on Sam Sexton. Sam got a little bit desperate, I felt, in the middle part of the round, and that was where he simply just ended up, um, you know, getting caught. He, you know, he walked into a short, straight right hand, which put him down very, very heavily. He was right in the transition of landing his own right hand, I think it was, and he just got caught. Real, real big, you know, big power shot, and it was, it was, it was quite surprising because it didn't travel much. It just, it, you know, it was just a short, straight right hand, and it really seemed to affect him badly. You know, he, he went down um, very, very, very heavily, and he probably didn't see the shot coming. To be honest, it's always those ones what, of course, take you out of it. Um, he did get back up to give him a little bit of credit, but Terry O'Connor waved it off, and I felt that he probably did the right thing there. The way that the stoppage happened, the, the, you know, the way that, not the stoppage, but the, the final knockdown in that fifth round, I don't want to overstep the mark here, but it did remind me a little bit of the way that Wilder stopped Arta Spilka, the way that the shot landed and the way that the opponent fell down. Obviously, this, this knockout here was not as concussive and, you know, it was nowhere near that, but just, just the way the punch landed from a straight, um, short shot that didn't travel too much, and the way that the opponent kind of folded on the floor, it really did kind of remind me of that one there. Um, one interesting thing to note as well, I didn't I didn't know this, but there's a corner man out there called Mervyn Turner, who usually is seen in the corner with some of the Furies, Huey Fury, um, Tyson Fury even, and I think some of the other Furies that have had a couple of fights here and there. Mervyn Turner's a man that is um, pretty much a corner man for hire. I think, you know, a few of the traveling fighters have had him in their corner, but very interestingly, he's done a lot for the you know for for the Fury team, and he was actually in the opposite corner. So I found that quite quite strange. He was in the corner of Sam Sexton, so I'm wondering if there was a fallout there, um, or maybe you know they just didn't work together for that one fight. I'd like to know some more about that. If anybody does know, let me know. But that was quite an interesting factor there. Um, Moving over now, though, to the Madison Square Garden in New York, New York, USA. This one, of course, a top-rank promotion show. Um, what do we have here? Michael Conlon moved to 7-0. and It was a points win over eight rounds against Ibon Larinaga, who is now 10-2. and uh, Jamel Herring, friend of the show. Unfortunately, they didn't show his fight on TV. He moved to 17 and 2. I'm very pleased for him. He seemed to impress in his debut for top rank. Um, he knocked out his opponent, Juan Pablo Sanchez, in round five of a scheduled eight round contest. Jamel Herring seemed to look pretty good as he finished him. I didn't see much more of the fight aside from the finish. It looked quite good. Um, and the doctor actually jumped up on the rope to stop the fight, which was quite odd. 
Um, but yeah, he did say to me when we spoke, he said that he'd be pretty disappointed if he didn't get a knockout. So I'm pleased that he was able to deliver on his on his own goal, so to speak. And also on this bill, Carlos Adames, 13-0, and 0, a former opponent of Carlos Molina, friend of the show. He took on Alejandro Barrera, 29-4. and 4. Now, that fight there, I was really, really impressed with Adames. I've heard quite a lot about him, but that was the first fight where I've actually sat and watched it. Um, I've seen little clips of him, but aside from that, you know, I, I hadn't really seen much. And I really like what they're doing with him because I like the fact that they, you know, they fought Carlos Molina very early on in their career, um, or in his career, I should say, and it was another solid and sturdy test for Adames. He, he, you know, he had to kind of get through some sticky moments himself, to be honest with you, which is brilliant for him to be having these these types of fights this early on in his career. Barrera did give it a right go. He also put the pressure on Adames many times throughout the fight. Like I say, Adames had to come through some sticky moments. But there's a lot to like about Adames, man. He's he's very skillful. His movement's very good. He's slick. His punch variety's nice. He's got the speed as well. But more importantly, he's only just turned 24 years of age. And I believe he's going to be getting better and better. So he may be one to watch. Carlos Adames. Also a very interesting fact. He is one of 36 children he's got 35 siblings his dad is a farmer i believe back in the dominican republic he's obviously a very very busy man so yeah credit to him um just one more note on the conlon fight by the way michael conlon seemed to get a little bit frustrated with his opponent i was very surprised by that at one point in the fight he threw his opponent to the ground but yeah i i didn't know too much about larinaga like i say not a great opponent really but he was very very tough and he was able to soak up everything that Conlon threw at him so you know credit to the Spaniard there and Conlon did show his his very own exceptional skill set at times switching from orthodox to southpaw and vice versa so impressive stuff from Conlon but he didn't get the knockout um but yeah the main event here I as I mean boy oh boy we expected a great fight we didn't expect for Lomachenko to be touching down though what did you make of that oh I think Lomachenko and Linares, I think that was a very good fight obviously um Lomachenko well done to him for winning the fight obviously we saw him uh we seen him box and move obviously in the sixth round um Lomachenko dropped him in the sixth round. Lomachenko just got back up and I wasn't even stumbled. And Lomachenko just kept in going and going and going. And then in the tenth round, just combinations, Lomachenko hit him in the liver and then that's it, dropped him and then won the. F- but well, well done to Lomachenko, quickest world champion, uh, quickest three world champion. Yeah, I'm going to go through the fight kind of round by round a little bit. I found that the first round was quite a good round. I was um, getting quite excited from the first round. I mean, I was getting excited from from about. Well, from the minute that the the fight got made, to be honest with you, but the first round was a good round. I felt that there was a lot of action in that first round, a lot of punches thrown. It was quite a close round. In the second round, Lomachenko showed us some glimpses of his talent. He was able to hit Linares with multiple eye-catching shots with, you know, a bit of variety mixed in, which you'd expect from Lomachenko, and he barely took a shot himself. And I think that in round three, it was more of the same from Lomachenko. Linares did land probably the best shot of that particular round, which was a left uppercut, if my 
memory serves me correctly. But it didn't seem to bother Vasyl Lomachenko one bit. I felt that in round four, Lomachenko upped the pace visibly. And he looked good, but he did take another big shot, which buckled his front leg a little bit. I don't think the commentators picked up on that. In round five, I felt Linares was actually winning that round until Lomachenko went to work on him in the last 30 seconds. He kind of stole that round for me. And round six was a round that Lomachenko, I felt, was doing okay in. It was probably an evenish round, to be honest. And then he got caught with a straight right hand and found himself on the floor. I believe that's the first time in 11 years Lomachenko has been on the floor. I think the last time was back in 2007 in in some kind of amateur contest, which I think he went on to win, if I'm not mistaken. So I'm not quite sure. But yeah, he hasn't been down. He's not used to that at all. And he did get straight back up, literally. Within one second, he popped straight back up. He actually got up quicker than Oscar De La Hoya sat ringside, got up to applaud that his man had just dropped Lomachenko, which I found quite ironic. Um, Yeah, I mean, you know, at that point, it was quite an encouraging um, 10-8 round for Linares, who, even though they, they talk a lot about Lomachenko's speed, I felt that Linares showed us multiple times throughout the fight he has super super quick hands as well um so i feel that the 10-8 round was quite a extra push kind of round for Linares. after dropping him it kind of gave him the spur to carry on um fighting hard from that point onwards and he was certainly the bigger puncher in there for sure in round seven i gave that round to Linares, so i felt that he followed up the knockdown round very well i felt that he had a good round in which he kind of brought the fight to lomachenko he was meeting him in the middle of the ring and he was outlanding him as well in round eight lomachenko opened a cut on Linares's left eye and it seemed to give him an added surge of energy actually to which he ended up dominating the rest of that round he he certainly earned the 10-9 score there. In round 9, I felt like Linares probably did enough to win that round as well. He also landed a really, really nice 5 or 6 punch combination in that round, which you just probably will never see again until Lomachenko is about 66 years old because no one would even have the audacity to try and throw a combination like that, let alone land most of it. So credit to Linares for that bit there. Um... Going into the 10th round, I did have Lomachenko up by two points, meaning it was very close. But in round 10, of course, Lomachenko was able to land a left hand to the ribs, which had been set up by multiple headshots, forcing Linares to put his guard up, which he then, of course, opened the sweet spot for a big left hook. And Linares fell to the floor and could not beat the count. Statement made, in my opinion. He's the quickest fighter, like you said, I has to win three world titles in three different weight classes inside. 13 fights Um, I believe he solidifies himself as the number one pound for pound fighter in the world I had him as that before the fight he remained of course as that after the fight I believe a lot of people are also changing their rankings to have him at number one credit to Linares though he certainly gave it his all and I felt very sorry for him really because he didn't really need to take that fight but he's a true warrior and of course he did his fans very proud 
but I'm, I'm worried it might have took quite a bit out of him. Some people going going on Twitter and all, all other social media platforms to call him a, a quitter. I certainly don't think that that was the case at all. Um, I do think, though, Lomachenko has, and I'm going to ask your opinion on this as well, I don't think he should go a step more than one three five. I felt that the size did play a factor. It was certainly an advantage for Linares. I don't think that Lomachenko would do too good at 140 eyes, even though the competition at this stage is perhaps not there. Do you think 140 is probably a bit too big for him? Yes, I think 140 is um, is very too big. But I think personally, if he fights, again, if he fights someone like Mikey Garcia and he goes up a weight, it, it may be a bad result for him. But we'll see how Lomachenko is. So if that fight does happen there then that would be at 135. But right now at 140, obviously, you've got the likes of Regis Progre and, you know, Jose Ramirez and the rest of those guys that haven't really, even though they're looking very good and they're knocking people out, they haven't really kind of, you know, solidified themselves as fantastic fighters just yet. They're really ticking all the boxes, though, at the moment. Um, what I will say, we're, we're hearing also about perhaps a unification showdown between Mikey Garcia and Robert Easter Jr. So that one might actually put a bit of a spanner in the works um, for those that want to see Mikey Garcia take on Lomachenko in the very next fight that they both have. So I actually like that unification. I want to see Robert Easter in with some of the, you know, some of the other guys. I want to see him unify. Um, he really does want those fights as well, but we're going off topic a little bit here. So yeah, hopefully we see the fight with Mikey Garcia. A lot of people very, very much divided on that one. Um, moving over now to the final bill to mention. This one happened over in the Turning Stone Resort and Casino in Verona, New York, USA. Um, I have to be honest, I didn't see this bill here, but Ray Vargas defended his WBC World Super Bantamweight title successfully against Azat Hovanassian, 14-2. Ray Vargas, 32-0 now. From what I'm hearing, though, I think he had a few worrying moments, a few shaky moments where he'd been rocked a few times in that fight, because I think Hovanassian's quite a big puncher, if I'm not mistaken, so... Um, if, if we missed anything, if it's worth going back and watching, please do let us know on Twitter at Box Hard Podcast. But the main event here, Saddam Ali, 26-1. and one. He was supposed to be taking on Liam Smith. He ended up taking on Jamie Mungua. I'm not going to try and pronounce it as it's probably said, but I'm going to go with Jamie Mungua, 28-0. Well, he's now 29-0 with 25 knockouts. He's the new WBO World Super Welterweight Champion, a TKO in round four for Jamie Mungua. Ali was down twice in the very first round and once in the second round. He managed to go through round three without being dropped, but in round four, that was all she wrote, a TKO there for Jamie Mungua. Um, me, you, and the listeners' eyes all went with a Saddam Ali points win. We got that horribly wrong. Um, I think, evidently, from the first round, it was probably looking like it wouldn't go to points. And if it did, then Saddam Ali would have a, a real uphill battle to climb. What I will say, though, just before we end this review part of the show here, Jamie Mungua is the guy that they were trying to draft in for Triple G for May 5th, but... The, the Nevada board decided that, no, um, this guy's relatively untested and it would probably be quite a dangerous matchup, so they uh, they wouldn't sanction the fight. And he's just proved that he's obviously um, quite a force to be reckoned with, really. I feel very sorry for Saddam Ali because it was a late replacement 
kind of thing. And nobody really knew how good this guy was, and he certainly proved that he uh, he was he was quite a problem there. So I'd like to see what he does next. Apparently, he looked absolutely huge for 154. I don't think many people believe he's going to be sticking around at that weight for too long. So if he does move up to 160, there could be many many fights there. But I tell you what, if he does stick around at 154, I'd like to see him in with somebody like a Jarrett Hurd, somebody like a Jamel Charlo, and you know we can we can see if he's the real deal or throw him in there with Eris Landy Lara I'm sure he'll take that fight in a split second that'd be a good fight um, and that really wraps up the review nice just before we bring in our first guest you didn't happen to see that Saddam Ali fight at all did you I'm guessing uh, you probably no. didn't no unfortunately I didn't get to see the Saddam Ali fight unfortunately but I heard he got knocked up back very bad yeah it was pretty bad from the clips that I saw um, oh yeah I almost forgot I almost forgot I almost forgot the predictions um if you remember, as we we all went with Ali to win on points. Like I say, we all got that one wrong. And there were two other fights. The Huey Fury fight that we predicted on, you went with Fury on points, so did the listeners. I went with Fury by knockout, but I was not sure at all. Well, I was jumping for joy when it did happen. And Lomachenko's fight, I went with a knockout. Again, I had absolutely no faith in it whatsoever. I even put some money down for Fury and Lomachenko both to win on points because I was sure that I picked the wrong predictions. Well, I was right on that one again. So I gained two points. The listeners gained zero and I has gained zero. So I couldn't believe my luck. And more of more of that again, I'd like this week. There will be more predictions later on in the show. So fingers crossed for me. Um, that's really it though for the reviewing. Just before we wrap up part one, there is one last thing to do. That of course is to welcome our very first guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the reigning WBC featherweight champion of the world, Mr. Gary Russell Jr. Gary, welcome to the show, my friend. Yeah, thank you for having me. Hey, it's my pleasure, my friend. It's my pleasure. So it's the first time that you've been on this show, Gary, and like many other boxers that we've spoken to over the years, you have a very interesting story yourself on how you got into boxing. Um, Of course, your father trained you as a kid, along with your brothers, and unbelievably, you and all your brothers managed to each win the Golden Gloves in the amateurs, which is just remarkable. Um, You were mainly being trained out of your basement. How amazing is that, Gary, to go from a basement with all your siblings alongside you to now be in a fully fledged world recognized world champion oh man it's amazing it goes to show that you can do anything that you put your mind to as long as you got the work ethic and you know, the mindset to understand what 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 needs to be come from it um i tell people even now my gym it's not a very big immaculate gym now we don't have all this fancy and and fancy equipment and stuff like that I need it small, it's personal, it's very, very intimate. You know, um, I wouldn't have it any other way. Any other way, man. We had to we had to get it all the way from the bottom. Uh we used to we used to train in the basement of our house and it was funny because we used to hang the the heavy bag from one of the beams in the in the uh, basement. So it used to drive my mother crazy because whenever she was watching T V or we was hitting the heavy bag the entire living room floor would just be shaking, you know. <laughs> and it, it, it was cool, man. I mean, it all helped me and, and helped molded me into the individual that I am today. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And like you say there, with boxing comes discipline. That's why some boxers are some of the coolest people in the world, to be honest. And I've seen, um, and, and you've seen, of course, I'm sure, many father-son combinations in boxing that haven't quite worked out so well. Sometimes because... You know, having having your father as, you, as your trainer, the working relationship can get a little bit mixed up with the personal relationship. What is the secret to maintaining that respect and that motivation? We believe in the concept of order anyway, even when it's dealing with, uh, with just training within itself. When you deal with your corner, your corner is your last line of defense. When everything else is going wrong in the fight, you get to the corner and your coach tells you, or he gives you instructions. He tells you what's going on, what's going wrong, why is this happening, and how to make the necessary adjustments to to, to change it, you know, for things to be better on your behalf. You have to have a certain level of belief and trust within that individual to be able to go out there and execute it. When it comes to my dad, he's my dad. You know, I know he has my best interests at hand, no matter what the situation is. So it makes it much easier for me to have a level of trust and belief in the instructions that's given to me in the corner for me to go out there and execute it the way that he wants me to do it. Yeah, and I respect that massively. That that, that certainly must be applauded. Um, your next fight, though, will be taking place this weekend in Maryland, your hometown now. Um, the fight will be shown on Showtime. In the other corner stands Joseph Diaz, a very highly touted young man himself. Do you know much about him, Gary? If so, what do you know? Um, I know he's a fellow gladiator. He's the number one contender. He worked his way up the rankings. To, 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 to fight for a world title. Um, I respect him as an individual. I, I admire anyone that that's the fighter. It takes a certain type of mindset. It takes a certain type of individual to actually participate as a professional fighter, you know, for this to be our occupation, you know. So I, I take my hat off to him, and I, and I applaud him as a warrior and as a gladiator when it comes to this particular fight. Um he made statements before that I am the best fighter in this division and that all the other world champions in the division are afraid to fight. You know, as a champion, I wouldn't want anything less and expect anything less for, for a worthy opponent, someone that, that, that really, really wants to be in the position that I am. I know he's going to be the best that he can physically be on that night, and we're ready for it. We're ready for it. And Gary, are you a man that watches tape of your opponents at all? Um, very so little. Much? Very little, yeah. Very little, boxers, very yeah. little. A lot of boxers tell me that. Um, well, you know, it, it, I'm not sure what their particular reason is. I know my reason is I have 100% belief in my ability. You know, um, but most most people have to, most people are one-dimensional. You know, they're one-dimensional. They're only good in, in their own particular element. In order for you to be great, I keep telling people this, in order for you to be great, in order for you to be good, you have to be versatile. You have to have the ability to do multiple things at the drop of a dime. You know, I never really worry about my opponents because my biggest objective is me getting myself in the best condition and in the best shape mentally and physically that I can be in. 
because I know I can make the adjustment to whatever comes my way. If, if, if my opponent wants to be a boxer, then we can make the adjustment and we can box and make the necessary adjustments to make the fight easy. If he wants to be 100% aggressive, then we're equally as comfortable in close quarter battling as we are outside boxing. We have the ability to make the adjustment, you know, so I never really worry too much about my opponent. And without looking past this fight at all, of course, um, you know, you say there you're not really a massive watcher of, 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 of videotape in general. I did just want to ask you, if you have had a look at any of the other champions at your weight, if you've watched them at all, of course, you've got Oscar Valdez, Leo Santa Cruz, our very own Lee Selby. Have you watched any of those guys? And if so, do you have any kind of opinion on those guys individually? I think they're all great fighters. I think all of these guys are great fighters. The, the only reason why their name is being mentioned because they are at the top of their game. Point blank, period. You know, I think they're great fighters. These are all all fighters that I would love to have opportunity to get a chance to to participate against. Uh, I think it will bring, uh, uh, at the end of the day, regardless of what our profession is, we want to set this financial stability for our families and our friends and our loved ones. Um, it's the same thing that uh, us as fighters want. You know, these same guys that you just mentioned, I think if any of us were to get in the ring with one another, we'll have the ability to provide some of those things for our family. And the one criticism that I often see linked with your name, um, Gary, is your inactivity. I know that quite a few of Al Heyman's fighters don't fight very regularly. Um but the most important thing, of course, is I wanted to ask you, are you happy fighting as often as you do, or would you ideally like to be more active? Um, I would love to be a little more active. I mean, some of the reasons why I've been inactive because of, you have to understand it is a concept of business. Uh, a lot of these managers and promoters aren't in a, you know, a big rush to put their investment in the ring with Mr. Gary Russell Jr., we get paid based upon our ability to produce. And those chances are very, very slim when these other fighters step in the ring, step in the ring with me, you know. So we're set. We're having to compete against our mandatory challenges. Um, it gives me the ability to, to preserve my body, preserve my hands. It's been no secret that I have had hand injuries in the past, you know. So it gives me a chance to preserve my hands and preserve my body. Um, very, very well. I'm always in the gym. Whenever I do compete, even though I have a year layoff, I still look equally as sharp, if not sharper than the last time you guys seen me compete. Yeah, because the, the thing with, with the inactivity, sometimes like you will fight, this is just my personal opinion, I'm sure some others probably share this, but sometimes you fight and I watch you win, and then when I think about my next top 10 pound for pound list, because of how dominant you can be, I always put you in there, but then there's some other fighters that are just on the cusp of getting into my top ten that maybe have two or three fights in a year, and then they kind of just push you in because or push in kind of thing and replace you in there in my top ten because you just haven't been as active as I'd have liked you to have been. But you know, you said it there. There's obviously a lot that goes on, uh, not just what you know we see from the outside. There's a lot that happens on. Oh, yeah. inside, of course. Um, and, and when I when I look at something that I would consider like the top ten, I don't look at just. I look at the ability of the fighter. Can this fighter be versatile? Uh, can he 
produce knockout? Can't do he have the hand speed? Do he have the punching ability? Yeah, a lot of fighters win nowadays because of just raw athleticism. What I mean by that is they're winning because they're just faster than their opponent, they're stronger than their opponent, or they're just in more shape than their opponent. Fighters aren't winning because they're tech. They're more technically sound than their opponent, and they have the ability to make the necessary adjustments. I think some things are just so great that sometimes it just slides under the naked eye, you know. So, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, I understand that the politics of it, at the end of the day, I didn't get into this to, to the sport to, 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 to be a, the top ten. In my eyes, I feel like I'm one of the best fighters there is in the world. Um, I got into this sport because I know that I was very good at it, and it was a great, easy way for me to generate a level of currency for my family, you know. So and that I'm is cool when I've been in the top ten. No, listen, that that is what it's all about. You 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 are in the top ten. As soon as you fight, you you get straight back in. <laughs> I want to ask you this, Gary. Um, were you able to catch Lomachenko's win over Linares on the weekend? I did not. I didn't. I don't honestly right. watch any boxing. I think I seen clippings of it on uh, right. Instagram, but I, I honestly don't watch boxing that much. That's a lot right. of the guys that that we like the nigga the the the, the guy Lenore, I I never seen him fight before. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. What I will ask you then, yeah. I'll flip that question over and say to you, how well do you rate Lomachenko? Obviously, a lot of people have got him right now at number one in the pound for pound rankings. You fought him to a majority decision. How good is he? I think he's overrated. Really? I think he's overrated. He fought a, de- a, a completely dehydrated Gary Russell Jr. You know, we can't take nothing from what he accomplished as an amateur, but as a professional, no one knew who Lomachenko was until he fought Mr. Gary Russell Jr. You know, that was the breaking point. That was the breaking point. You know, that was the icing on the cake because they were able to compare him to me because there was a majority decision, a dehydrated version of me that had to lose four and a half pounds and not four to five. Um, before the conclusion of my career, that's a fight that would definitely have to take place. I I, I, I respect him as a, as a fighter, as a warrior, because we participate in the sport. But he's definitely, I feel as though he's definitely overrated. And I want to ask you this also. Um, what is the long-term goal for you at this point? Obviously, you've you've won a world title. Um, should you be victorious this weekend, it would mean that you've successfully defended the belt three times. Is the mission to, to chase a unification fight? Is the mission to move up in weight to try and become a two-weight world champion? Is the mission to, to get a rematch with Lomachenko at some point? What actually is the thing that you'd like to achieve above all the rest? <laughs> the same thing that everyone wants to achieve because the ultimate goal once again is to provide a sense of financial stability for my family my yeah, friends well, I mean, and my loved ones I mean, um, I mean Gary like, aside, from, boxing, aside from the financial gain like if, if, if you could get paid the same money for all three of those options what what would you prefer to do best out of all those oh man I prefer to be all the guys that, that anyone that's near or around my division that's supposed to be good or that's looked at as good, I would love to get in the ring and compete against every last one of them. And before the end, my last fight in my career, I would love to finish it out with Lomachenko. Wow, that would certainly be something. And coming down to and that, doesn't, and, it doesn't, and it doesn't matter. I, I'm planning on meeting these guys and catch weights if necessary. Um, God willing to get through uh, Jojo Diaz 
this Saturday. We've been training really, really hard. We're ready. I believe Leo Santa Cruz and Evan Mars will be competing in June. Yes, I believe that. I believe. I'm not sure. I mean, that would be perfect timing. I would love to get a unification bout with these with the winner of those two guys. If that fight, if I can't get a unification bout, then I, I'm I'm definitely willing to meet any of these any of these other guys that has a name that's considered to be good, considered to be great in the sport of boxing. I wouldn't mind moving up in the catch weight to meet any of these guys to make it happen. From okay. any anywhere from anywhere from the weights of one forty all the way to one twenty six. We flexible. Wow, you said it there. Um, I will just tell you, you probably didn't know this, Gary, but um, Lee Selby's actually fighting the same night as you. So, you know, hopefully... Oh, wow, I wish him luck, man. I wish him luck. Yeah, hopefully he will be ready, you know, if if a unification did arise, he should be ready at the same kind of point that you would. Wow, that will be perfect timing as well. See, look at the options. (laughs) Options everywhere. I love it. I love it. (laughs) <laughs> and and just coming down to the last couple of questions, my man, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. Um, you you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but I like to ask everybody that we speak to from overseas, what is their favourite UK fighter from any era it can be? Whatever comes to your head first, um, you know, or, or you can have a little think about it, or perhaps you don't want to say, that's completely fine. I just like to ask that question. <sighs> Wow, that would be very difficult. Like I say, I really, really, really don't watch boxing. I don't watch boxing. And, and, I, and it's funny because a lot of people are like, well, you're a boxer. How don't you watch boxing? I'm like, well, I've been boxing since I was seven years old. You know, so I, we, I, I honestly really don't watch television much uh, that often. Um, any UK fighters? All right, I'll flip it around to you then, Gary. I'll tell you about a couple of boxers that you certainly do know. Tell us a little bit about how um, your your brothers are getting on. Of course, they're some of the guys that fight um, quite regularly on your undercards. They're all undefeated, if I'm not mistaken. Tell me about their progression thus far. Ah, oh, man, my younger brothers are doing well. They're doing well. Um, Gary Antoine Russell, the one who's the 2016 Olympian, he's 5-0. He will be competing on my uh, on, on this undercard. Uh, hopefully, he will move to six and zero. He's very very strong. He's fast. He has good fast hands. Nice ring generalship. Nice punch selection. Good punching power. Uh, I think he's going to be a force to be reckoned with, as well as uh, Gary Antonio Russell, who's who's, who's ten and zero, and he he he's moving as well. He. he He's, he's, he competes at Bantamweight, 118 pounds, but he has very, very deceptive punching ability to be that small, and I think that's going to catch a lot of people by surprise. As far as their development goes, one of the biggest things that I'm looking for with them is defensive discipline. You know, having a level of defensive discipline. Um, I expect for my brothers to be better than the guys they're competing against early in their career. So I'm also looking for them to, if you're better than a person, be better than a person. Don't fight down to the level of competition. Um, If you have the measure of your man, don't go out here and try to showboat and take unnecessary chances. Still be precise and still be straight to the point and very direct. Um, That's what I'm looking for for them. And I can't wait. They've been looking good in the gym, too. 
yeah, I'm hearing very positive things about um, the pair of them, and of course they're in great hands. They've got, you know, they've got their older brother in you, who is, you know, a complete role model. Um, you know, obviously a, a fully fledged world champion, like I say, and um, your father, of course, really the best two people to look out for their careers. Coming down to the last question now, Gary, another one that you don't have to answer if you don't want to. I just wanted to ask you. Do you have any kind of prediction? How do you see your arm being raised come Saturday night? I'm not playing off one distance. We are definitely in shape and ready to go to duration of 12 rounds if necessary. But um, if if it does go to a distance of the 12 rounds, I'll be completely disappointed within myself. Um, I don't plan on I don't plan on going on 12. I'm gonna get them up out of it. I'm gonna get them up out of it. Okie dokie. Well, you said it there, my man. And and just before I let you go, actually, Gary, I want to give you this this little opportunity here just to send a message out to your UK following because there's a lot of guys over here um, that are huge fans of yourself that recognize you as, you know, one of the best fighters in the world for sure. What's your message to your supporters from across the pond? Ah, thank you so, so, so much for genuinely supporting me, loving my work and understanding the craft and the sport of boxing, people fail to, to, to forget about the intellect part, you know. I tell people that boxing is intellect manifested on the physical form. In most cases, the more intelligent fighters should win. Um, if these guys then and these people genuinely like me and support me and like the craft of what I do, it's because of that, you know. Um, and I'm pleased that my work ethic and my training and all my hard work and dedication is not going in vain, you know, and all you guys genuinely support me and like my work. I appreciate you. Very well said, my man. Listen, Gary, it's been my pleasure totally speaking with you today, sir. Best of luck for Saturday. Thank you for your time, and we'll catch up again sometime soon, I'm sure. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part. So, Ayaz, what do you have for us this week? David Price will return to the ring on the 27th of July at Macron Stadium. Yeah, I know that that one was announced earlier this week. Um, yeah, of course, the return of big David Price. Um, we've we've really discussed his career. I think that we all kind of ruled in favour that he should probably just hang the gloves up. I don't want to see him get stopped, um, you know, brutally once again. But if he's going to be fighting at lower levels, perhaps maybe the British level, I wouldn't mind seeing that. Um you know, maybe if Huey Fury was to give up the British title, maybe that would open a door for him. I don't mind that, but I think he needs to really, you know, stay at the domestic level, um, really, for the rest of his career, to be honest. Canelo has signed a year-round deal for Vada testing. Yeah, I think that Canelo pretty much had to do this because he was removed from the WBC rankings for not signing up in time. And then they said that they would reinstate his ranking if he, you know, if he if he changed his mind and then signed up. So for a moment he didn't sign up and he was completely out of the rankings, but then when he did a U-turn on that decision, he's now signed up to it. He's now back in the rankings. So it's a step in the right direction. I don't know what took him so long to sign up for it. There's still a lot of question marks there. I believe he's guilty. I think the rest of boxing pretty much believes he was guilty. There's lots and lots and lots of different conflicting stories about hair samples and stuff like that. Um, 
the fact that he's signed up to this though is a good thing. Hopefully they test him, um, you know, very often. I feel that it's 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 a necessity now with the fouled two tests. So hopefully he's clean. That's all I will say. But it's certainly a you know a positive step for him. Eddie Hearn has made a big announcement for a one billion pound deal with DAZN. Yeah, I think it may be a $1 billion deal. I'm not quite sure. But yeah, this this streaming company, D-A-Z-N or Dazen, I'm not quite sure how it's said, to be honest. I'd never heard of them previously. Um, it's a big money deal. It's based on, I believe, what Eddie Hearn will be doing in the United States, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know too much about the whole thing. But um, apparently it's going to be like a a uh, like a pay-per-view free kind of thing so it sounds like it's a little bit like box nations format but um i'm not quite sure if they're going to be showing the uk stuff over you know on this platform i'm not quite sure um that you know it's very much early days eddie hearn though i believe hasn't really got the stable right now that you know in terms of us fires i mean he's done a couple of fights with big baby miller but i'm not quite sure that that's his actual fighter so he's got daniel jacobs who really is kind of coming to the end of his career and aside from that he's got no other big american names so he certainly needs to you know get his pen out and get the paper out and he needs to get some people to be signing on the dotted line but at the moment he hasn't got that but he's still been able to you know land this landmark deal so i'm extremely surprised to be honest but you know it's good things it's good news i suppose for boxing fans so i'm in favor of that Louis Fury is mandatory for Georgia's uh, Commonwealth title. Yeah, an interesting one. Obviously, Huey Fury got the win. We mentioned that earlier on in the show. A great win for him, a stoppage over Sam Sexton. He's the new British champ, which has now um, made him become mandatory for the Commonwealth title, which at the moment, Joe Joyce holds. It's a funny situation because Huey Fury is obviously the, the British champion, and he doesn't want to be staying at British level for too long. Joe Joyce, obviously, you know, the, the clock's ticking with him already. The time's certainly ticking with him with the age factor. So I don't imagine he'll be staying at Commonwealth level for too, you know, for too long either. So I don't see that fight happening. If it does happen, it won't be for a Commonwealth or a British title. No way. So it's it's an interesting point, I suppose. He's now, you know, he's now the the mandatory for the Commonwealth, Huey Fury. But that fight will no way happen for 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 a Commonwealth title. So don't get excited about that one happening because it certainly won't be. Jose Ramirez has split in ways with Freddie Roach, but has now trained, is now getting trained under Robert Garcia. Yeah, very weird. I mean, you know, we, we see this quite often where fighters are with one trainer for pretty much, you know, a long time. And then they get to the very top. Jose Ramirez is now a 140 title holder. And he's now ditched his long-term trainer, and he's now working with Robert Garcia. Which actually, they're you know they're huge rivals, Robert Garcia and Freddie Roach. There's a lot of bad blood over the years between those two. So, you know, it's a bit of a kind of backstabbing kind of move to go and sign with 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 Robert Garcia and to leave Freddie Roach. But I mean, they're both great trainers. So you know, I don't know if he's made a good decision or not. But I don't know why he would you know, try to fix something that wasn't broken, so to speak, because he has been winning fights. But then again, we don't really know what goes on behind closed doors. So I wish him the best of luck with Robert Garcia, who's another fantastic trainer. Is that it for the news then, Ayaz, yeah? Yes.
Okie dokie, right, moving over now to the preview part of the show, we're going to start at a venue called the Town Hall in Malvern, Victoria, Australia, just a quick little two fights to mention here, two brothers actually, good good fighting prospects from Australia, Jason Maloney, 16-0, and his brother Andrew Maloney, 16-0, um, they both hold the same belt, but of course at different weights, the WBA Oceana bantamweight title for Jason Maloney. He defends that against Kohi Kono, 33-11 and 11 with one draw. Kohi Kono, of course, is a famous Japanese fighter. That'll be a 12-rounder. And Andrew Maloney, he's got the super flyweight version of the WBA Oceana title. That's a 10-rounder, though, his fight against Richard Claveras, who's 18-3 and three with two draws. Moving over now to Canada, though. This one is going to be a humongous bill, as it's going to be shown on Sky Sports this Saturday. And, of course... It's going to also be shown in the States on Showtime, just starting with the undercard. Um, Oscar Rivas, 23-0, takes on Herb Habu, who's 29-2. Now, Herb Habu's a guy that has never actually been stopped. He is a decent fighter in his own right, to be honest, so I think that's going to be quite a sturdy test there for Oscar Rivas. Um, looking at Habu's record, like I say, he's a big guy, and he um, has got a recent loss to Ajit Kabayel. That was for the vacant... European heavyweight title. He lost to Cabiel back in 2017 in February, but his previous loss before that was back in 2012. So he's not a bad fighter, but then again, I don't really think he's got the pedigree that Oscar Rivas has. He's a he's a 26-year-old Belgian, by the way, of Habu. But the main event over here for the WBC World Light Heavyweight title, Adonis Stevenson, 29-1, and takes on Badu Jack, 22-1 and with two draws. Of course, a 12-round contest. Ayers, we're very, very happy with this fight. I know that you agree with me on that. It's going to be the first big test, really, that Adonis Stevenson has had since, I want to say, probably someone like a Tony Bellew, which doesn't say too much about back then when he was a light heavyweight. He wasn't the best fighter. He's certainly come on since then, Tony Bellew. But, yeah, what's your thoughts on this fight, and who do you believe will come out victorious? I think it's a very good fight. Um, I think it's a very tough fight for Adonis Stevenson, so it's for Badu Jack. Um, obviously, Adonis is a very good fighter, so is Badu Jack. But if I'm going to have to go with a win, I'm going to have to go with Badu Jack on points. Badu Jack on points. And the listeners, by the way, went with Badu Jack on points as well. I'm going to go against that. I don't see this fight going the distance. I'm not quite sure who will get the stoppage. I'm going to try and pick a winner here. I mean, I think both men are capable of getting the knockout. Even though Badu Jack's only had the one fight at light heavyweight, he looked very good against Nathan Cleverly, who actually looked awful. Um, so you've got to take that into consideration. But it is his second fight at the weight, so I'm not sure if we got to see too much against a very a very poor, poor-looking Nathan Cleverly. Um, I'm going to say that Adonis Stevenson gets a stoppage. I'm going to go with an Adonis Stevenson stoppage. I'm not too confident, but I just don't see that fight going the, the full 12 rounds. But, you know, it's, it's a brilliant fight, so credit to both men for taking that one. I just think that Badu Jack has sometimes struggled with southpaws. Um, we saw him get a draw with Lucian Butte. I mean, it was a little bit controversial. We also had a draw with um, with, 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 with James DeGaulle. Again, that was a bit controversial. 
So I think he's kind of struggled with southpaws over the years, and there aren't many southpaws that have got that big left backhand that that um, Adonis Stevenson can land, and he's a serious one-punch KO artist. So I believe a, a spectacular knockout for somebody, but I'm going to have to go with Adonis Stevenson just to go against the grain in terms of your prediction and, and, and our listeners' prediction. But also now moving over to a part of Spain called the Pabellon Esperanza. Um, this is in a place called... Valenciana. Um, there's one fight to mention over here. A guy called Mark Vidal, who's 11-1 with four draws. He gets in against um, the former world champion, Kiko Martinez. So he's back out again, Kiko Martinez. He's a guy that, like I say, disappears for a while, fights a load of journeymen, and then just pops up for a big title. This is for the EBU European featherweight title, so not a bad strap to fight for. But Mark Vidal the guy here. Um, he's got one loss. It was to Andoni Gargo, who fought a few weeks ago in a proper, you know, a proper war and a guy that lost to Lee Selby. But yeah, um, I'm expecting this, you know, this, this to be a bit too much for Mark Vidal. I think that Kiko Martinez will probably come out victorious there. Um, that's it though for Spain. Moving over now to Turkey. One fight to mention over here. Firat Arslan, 41 and 8 with two draws, puts his WBO Intercontinental Cruiserweight title on the line against Isaac Paquesi Ankara who is 14-7. and seven. It's a 10-round contest there. Um, I just find it completely bizarre that he's even still fighting. You know, Firat Arslan, now aged 47. He's going to be 48 in September. He takes on this guy here, who's not a spring chicken, really. He's 38 himself, the Ghanaian. So a combined age of, like, 80-odd. So, um, yeah, very interesting fight there and quite a quite a stern test, really, for, for Mr. Ankara from Ghana. He hasn't really got the names on his resume himself. I mean, the scary factor is that of his seven losses, six were by knockout. Um, you know, so that doesn't really look too good for him. Um, two of his first fights, though, his, his debut and his fight after that, he, he lost both fights by stoppage, so that doesn't really look too good. But I suppose that can be... Ignored a little bit. Um, moving over now to a bill that's happening at Elland Road Football Ground, if you didn't know, in Leeds, Yorkshire, United Kingdom. Of course, this one on BT Sport and Box Nation. As. Um, let's start with the undercard firstly. We have Mark Heffron, 18-0, taking on Adam Grabich, who's 5-20. That's a six-rounder there. Willie Hutchinson, he makes his Frank Warren debut, but it's his fourth fight. He's 3-0 at the moment. He's in a six-rounder against Adam Jones, 7-32 with six draws. Again, Adam Jones, a tough, 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 tough guy. That is a real, real hard fight for a man that's only had three previously in Willie Hutchinson. Of course, he's got the class, but his last fight was a bit of a war, and he didn't look too great, so I think this one will be quite a hard fight for him. Also on this bill, Leon Woodstock, 10-0, takes on Edwin Tellez, who's 12-42 with five draws. One thing about this guy, Tellez, is of his 42 losses, he's only been stopped four times, but... You'd have to go back quite a while to see a stoppage, and unbelievably, the stoppage, or one of the stoppages, I should say, was actually to Josh Warrington, who's fighting in the main event. That was back in 2015, so quite um, weird there, because he doesn't really get stopped often, but Josh Warrington's not even a big puncher. I can't really remember that fight, to be honest, but yeah, he's been in there with Josh Warrington. He's also been in there, I believe, with Stuart Hall. Um... 
But yeah, getting back to the fight there, I believe that Leon Woodstock, this is a bit of a last-minute thing for him. It's an eight-rounder. I think he um, will we'll probably get rid of this guy with relative ease, not necessarily by knockout, but he'll win and he'll proceed. And he couldn't defend his WBO European title here because this guy wasn't good enough. Um, O'Hara Davies, 16-1, and one, his first fight with Frank Warren also. He takes on Christopher Sabaya, who's 26-10 and 10, with one draw. He's only been stopped once. He's not that bad of a fighter, to be honest. He is coming off of a loss which I suppose is, is, isn't the best thing, really. And he's fought in the past Peter McDonough. He lost to Peter McDonough. Um, I'm looking at some of his other names. He hasn't really took on anyone else that's that great. I mean, he lost to Bradley Skeet back in 2014. He lost to Chris Jenkins also in the same year. Um, I'd imagine that would be quite an easy win for O'Hara, but if he gets a stoppage, I suppose it is a bit of a statement. Also, we have Darren Tetley, 15-0, takes on Mason Cartwright, 13-0 with one draw. That one's for the vacant WBO European welterweight title. Jack Catterall, 20-0, fights for the WBO Intercontinental Super Lightweight title against Mohamed Kani. This guy, 14-1 he is, Mohamed Kani. He's never got a knockout himself, and his one loss wasn't by knockout either. So he literally, every single fight goes the distance. So... I suppose um, if Jack Catterall is what they say he is, he could perhaps force a stoppage here. And also, Mohamed Kani, the one loss was to a guy um, who's who's still undefeated, but I've never heard of him. So I think you know he's not he's not that great of a fighter, even though his resume looks quite good on paper, um, his numbers anyway. Um, also on this bill, Nicola Adams 3-0 takes on Soledad Del Val Frias, who is 13-11 with four draws. The resume or the record, you know, 13-11 and 11 with four draws doesn't look too good, but she has fought for a world title, I believe, on three separate occasions. She wasn't able to win any of those ones, though, and I'm not expecting her to be able to beat Nicola Adams come Saturday. That's a 10 two-minute round contest. But the main event here, Ayers, for the IBF World Featherweight title, Lee Selby, 26-1, and one, takes on Josh Warrington, 26-0, 12-round contest. Talk to me. I think it's a very good fight. I think it's a fight that we've been waiting for a very, for a very, very long time. Definitely. And obviously, when Josh Warrington was Eddie, under Eddie Hearn, Eddie Hearn said in one of his interviews, the fight is to fight Josh, uh, Josh Warrington versus Lee Selby. And obviously, that didn't happen. So, unfortunately, they fell up. Unfortunately, Josh, uh, Josh Warren left Eddie Hearn and joined Frank Warren. Obviously, we've seen Josh Warren fought a couple of times on Frank, under Frank Warren, and now he's fighting Lee Selby in his home ground, in his hometown of Leeds, at his favourite football ground, uh, Ellen Road. I personally think this is going to be a very tough fight, which I don't think he'll win. I think he'll give a, I think he'll give Lee Selby a good fight, but I'll tell you one thing. I think Lee Selby wins this on points. Obviously, he doesn't, Lee Selby does not have much knockout power. Obviously, I think Lee Selby will use his skills in boxing movement, and I think he'll, Lee Selby will win on points. I have to agree, and so do the listeners. Um, I want to say, though, and I may upset one of our favourite listeners, actually, Mr. Ricey. I may upset him with this, but I just can't understand why Warrington is taking the approach that he's taking. At first, it was supposed to be like, well, Warrington's the good guy, Lee Selby's the bad guy, hero versus villain kind of thing. But when you actually analyse the way that Josh Warrington has been, it seems like he's just been so needlessly disrespectful. I mean, it's all right talking about, you know... um, 
you know, the fight itself, oh, I'm going to win, I'm going to win, and all that stuff. But I feel like he's got quite nasty. And he's desperately been trying to get underneath Lee Selby's skin. And Lee Selby's just completely not took the bait. And it seems like it's backfired on Josh Warrington. Josh Warrington, the other day, actually put his hands on Lee Selby. I think he, he touched his elbow or he did something. He shouldn't have done that. Again, Lee Selby didn't actually react to that, which he really was entitled to. And it just seems like the way he's 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 handled himself, Josh Warrington, has been quite disgraceful really I've, I've just not been impressed with him and all he keeps banging on about is oh there's going to be loads and loads of Leeds fans that are going to be bathing for your blood who gives a crap man for god's sake they're not going to get in the ring and fight for you he's been so disrespectful to to a good champion in Lee Selby a humble champion in Lee Selby and it's just made liking Josh Warrington quite difficult because I've always rooted for him I've always wanted to see him do well but I, I've just found him so hard to like in the build-up to this. He's been he's been nothing short of of um, disgraceful, really. I mean, if 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 you're not from Leeds, you need to be rooting for Lee Selby, man. For God's sake, it just seems like you know he's he's a worthy, worthy world champion. And and Josh Warrington, some of the things he's been saying is so distasteful. Um, I I really think that Selby will absolutely school him. I really do. And I hope that that does happen. I mean, we're all agreeing that is going to probably be the outcome. But I just completely cannot see Josh Warrington beating Lee Selby. But the one factor I will say, and I think I've even brought this up to Lee before. Lee really does struggle to make that featherweight one, two, six pounds limit. And I think that with Josh Warrington's engine and his high work rate, I think that the later rounds could be a bit of a problem for Lee Selby if he can't stay with that Warrington pace. But Warrington does need to start the pace very early, which I think he will try and do because that is the you know that's the only way I think he can win if he completely um, you know throws a lot of shots, keeps moving, and really puts the pressure on Selby at times in that fight when Selby starts to tire late on. Um, Selby hasn't looked overly impressive in his last couple fights either, so I'm expecting it to be an okay-ish fight. I think it can be competitive at stages, but if Lee Selby fights to his best ability, he will win this fight easy, in my opinion. But anyway, that's it for that one. Uh, May the best man win, of course. Moving over now to the... Uh, where are we going now? We're going over to the States now at the MGM National Harbour. A man that we spoke to earlier on in the show, of course, fighting on this bill. It's going to be shown on Showtime in the States. Um, on the undercard, though, the man's two brothers are on. Gary Antoine Russell, 5-0, and takes on Wilma Rodriguez. Antonio Russell, also 10-0. and He's in an eight-rounder against Esteban Aquino, 12-4. and But the main event... Gary Russell Jr., 28-1, takes on Joseph Diaz, 26-0. It's for the WBC World Featherweight title-wise. Talk to me about this fight. Another great, great fight. And to be honest with you, Gary Russell Jr. hasn't really fought anybody of note lately since that Lomachenko fight. This fight here is one that I am excited for. Uh, I think it's a very good fight. I think Joseph Diaz is the changing of his trainer. In my opinion, if I tell you one thing, I'm going to go with Gary Russell Jr. on points. Gary Russell Jr. on points. Right. Oh, boy. It's, it's, a, it's a tough one. Um... Joseph Diaz, I like the way that they've been moving him, to be honest. He's, he's been stepping up at the right times, and he's been impressing. Um, the only thing is, I don't think he's got that one-punch knockout power, and I don't really think Gary Russell's got it either, so that would indicate a points win. But Gary Russell Jr. did say earlier on that he'd be quite disappointed if he didn't knock this guy out, and Gary Russell himself is coming off of three knockouts in a row. 
But I'm going to go with Gary Russell by points, to be honest, just to try and be safe. And the listeners, by the way, have also gone with Russell on points, but it was very close. 42% going with Russell by KO, 50% going with Russell on points, and 8% going with Diaz by knockout. Nobody, interestingly, going with Diaz on points, which, to be honest, wouldn't be the hardest um, outcome to, to picture really but may the best man win there of course we're going to be back in Gary Russell Jr. to win because he is now a friend of the show a good and very intelligent man actually I'm sure that you probably all share the same opinion on that one but coming down to the final bill to mention now it's happening this Sunday it's Sunday the 20th of May 2018 of course it's happening over in Tokyo Japan at the Otter City General Gymnasium there is one or two fights to mention on this bill firstly we have Hiroto Kaioguchi who puts his IBF world minimum weight title on the line against Vince Paraz who's 13 and 0 should be a good dust up there for the little men that's a 12 rounder and the main event here Ryochi Taguchi 27 and 2 with two draws he puts his IBF title on the line and Heki Budler in the other corner 31 and 3 former world champion himself he's in there against him so that should be a good fight a 12 round contest there sorry um Taguchi puts his IBF and WBA world light flyweight titles on the line so um yeah two belts on the line there should be quite a good scrap so once again Japan delivers for the boxing hardcores that like to pay attention to the smaller weights but that really is it for the previewing we brought you guest number one we did part one we did the news we did the reviewing we did the previewing just before we end part two the one last thing to do is to bring in guest number two Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the high-flying, undefeated, light heavyweight prospect, Mr. Willie Hutchinson. Willie, welcome to the show, my friend. Yeah, thank you. Good to be here. Hey, it's my pleasure, my friend. So, Willie, yeah. I just want to go back in time a little bit to your debut. You took on Attila Nagy back in October of last year. You brought down a fair-sized crowd from Scotland to support you. I remember being ringside uh, when, when you got that first-round TKO that night. Then, of course, you went on the road in just your second pro fight. I know that you've yeah. been you've been on the road a lot in the amateurs, but was it any different doing it in the pro ranks? I know it was on Tony Yoka's undercard in France. Um, no, there was no difference, to be honest with you. Um, like you say, I've done it plenty in the amateurs. I've done it plenty in the amateurs, and it's just, that's what it was in the amateurs. It's all experience to, when you turn professional, is to go overseas and do the job at the same as when you're back home, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. yeah, I found it no different at all. It's good. And obviously, in your last fight, I was also sat ringside when you beat Eric McConzo at York Hall, a fight where we didn't really see too much boxing. It was more like, you know, a proper fight, so to speak. There was a yeah. lot of fighting going on. And at times, you actually took some shots yourself in that one. Were you happy with your performance there, Willie? Yeah, it was a powerful performance. Like you say, I just went to fight with, I don't know, maybe, no, my performance wasn't that bad. Could have been a lot worse. Um, but could have made it a lot easier for myself, of course, 100%, but you have to learn, don't you? Yeah. Good six rounds in the bank, get the rounds in, good fight, on to the next one. And the most recent news, of course, is that you've parted ways with Haymaker Ringstar, you've signed a promotional contract with Frank Warren. I want to ask you, Willie, what actually yeah. happened with Haymaker Ringstar? You and Joe Joyce were both fighting on free-to-air TV, you were both the two stars, yeah. really, of the company. And I remember interviewing Richard Schaefer, and he was very excited about working with you. What what went wrong in the end? Um, I'm still with Richard Schaefer, does it put that out there? 
I'm still with Ringstar. I'm with Frank Warren and Richard Schaefer, oh. Haymaker and Warren Promotions. Um, but nothing went wrong, to be honest with you. It was just me. Uh, I left it all to my manager, and my manager thought this was the right step to do, and it was something I needed to do. I never fell out with David or the team or anything. It was just my, my manager just left it to him, and this is the road he took me. So, so does, does that mean that you may still fight on Haymaker Ringstar cards as well as Frank's cards then? We need to wait and see, most likely. Okay. We need to wait and see. Interesting, interesting. Mm-hmm. At the time, of course, you're also being trained um, by by Ishmael Salas. Um, you've you've parted ways with him. You've now relocated to Sheffield to train with Dominic Ingle. How are you finding that one? Uh, it's good. It's very good here. There's a great team around us here. Um, some great lads. Everyone wants to be a champion. Everyone trains hard, and um, <clears throat> Dom is a very good coach. A very very good coach. A lot of experience, and I'm ready to take it on board and do what I need to do. And yeah. since since inking this deal with Frank Warren, you very quickly announced your first fight with him. It will be this Saturday on the Selby versus Warrington undercard against the Teak yeah. Tough. The Teak Tough, and one of my favourite journeymen, actually, Adam Jones. I don't know if you've seen Adam Jones fight before, mm-hmm. really, but I'm going to ask you, have you seen this guy fight? Um, Yes, I've seen him fight. I've he's seen him fight. He's, uh, he's durable, he's tough. He's good. Yeah, because, you he's know, obviously, obviously he's never been stopped. He doesn't stop walking forward all night. He can almost overwhelm some of his opponents. He's fit as a fiddle. Yeah. And, you mm-hmm. know, it's, I was just going to say to you, it'd be, a, it'd be a big mistake just looking at his resume and thinking it'll probably be easy because he's oh, yeah. a tough, tough guy. I was just going to say that. <laughs> 100%, 100%. good boxer, very, very tough, and can take a punch, give a punch. But I'll tell you what's the difference between me and this man is I'm a 19-year-old up-and-coming fighter what's ready to rock and roll. And obviously he's been there and done that, hasn't he? And I don't know. It'll be a really good fight. It'll be good. I'm looking forward to it. Um, and they've got to respect him. I know his record doesn't say great, but he's good. He is good. He certainly is. There's no one to underestimate. No, not at all, not at all. And this weekend in no. your weight division, two of the very best light heavyweights in the world step in the ring for the WBC light heavyweight world title. Badu Jack challenges the champion Adonis Stevenson in Canada. Who have you got winning that one, yeah. really? Um, I think I've got Adonis Stevenson winning it. I've got time. Adonis Stevenson. Um, no, no, I'll go the distance. We'll go the distance. Badu Jack's an unbelievable fighter himself. Um, he's been there he's, he's really really good but I think Adonis Stevenson is just too clever and we'll just outbox him for 12 rounds certainly a real thrilling fight that yeah uh, but two ma- unbelievable men isn't he yeah, and sure. another thing to tell you is after this fight I'll be doing super middle oh really okay yep that is interesting that is interesting <laughs> that really is I'm going to ask you about some of the light heavyweights domestically I'll have to scrap mm-hmm. that and ask you about some of the super middles um, the main event of your card on Saturday Selby versus Warrington obviously Warrington's with Frank so I suppose he's a stable yeah. mate in some ways of yours now but Lee Selby the big favourite with the bookies how do you see it playing out um a really really good fight Josh Warrington very very fit very durable and can fight but Lee Selby boxing skill is phenomenal um, is completely phenomenal. Really, really tough fight, hard fight. 
no one will get knocked out. But I think, I think it just depends how it goes. It depends how they perform on the night. But at least there'll be points decision, split, maybe unanimous. Yeah, I think I, I think I agree with you there. I want to ask you, Willie, mm-hmm. as well. Are you actually a fan of boxing? Do you watch it a lot? And if so, who are some of your favourite boxers to watch right now? To be honest with you, I don't really watch a lot of boxing. Um, I just take part. <laughs> I don't really watch a lot of it, to be honest with you. Um, I just do it. I yeah. just do it. I don't really watch a lot of it. My favourite is Fire Out There just now. Um, my favourite is Fire Out There just now. I couldn't even tell you, to be honest with you. <laughs> I couldn't even tell you. <laughs> that's fine some people just some people just compete you know we had um, earlier on in the show we had Gary Russell Jr on he's the WBC featherweight world champion he doesn't watch any yeah. boxing at all he said he didn't even know who Linares was when he fought Lomachenko nah. last week <laughs> yeah well um, yeah exactly the last yeah. real question that I've got for you I was going to ask you about the you know the domestic light heavyweights obviously mm-hmm. you said you, you're still 19 you're not 20 yet not 20 yet I'm still 19 I'm 20 in August 20 in August okay so mm-hmm. um, yeah I want to ask you really obviously I don't know how quick you yourself want to move how quick your management want you to move but is there anyone yeah. in the picture at super middleweight you say that you've kind of got your eye on for the future or not just yet no listen leave it to my management leave it to my manager Shelley and whatever he thinks right is right for me take a fight by fight and we just need to see what see how it goes Um but I'm ready. I'm not. I mean, I'm just starting off. Do you know what I mean? I've only had three fights. I'm still a young 19. But I'm uh, very soon. I'll be looking to get in the mix with the top lads. Yeah, very very exciting yep. future you have. And I just really wanted to give yep. you a chance to plug your social media handles. Where can the fans follow you if they aren't already following you on social media? On Twitter, follow me on Willie Hutchinson. Uh, don't put the N in the end. And Facebook, Willie Hutchison, and Instagram, Willie Hutchison, a.k.a. The Hutch Train. (laughs) Excellent, excellent, excellent. Okay, Willie, listen, it's been my pleasure interviewing you this week, sir. Thank you for your time. Best of luck for Saturday. We'll catch up sometime after. Nice one, pal. Enjoy. Okay, and this wraps up episode 135 of the Box Hard Podcast. The current Prediction League scores are as follows. Myself, I'm catching up with 35 points. Eyes is on 38 points, and the listeners are narrowly in the lead with 39. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Ayaz Sumra has been Ayaz Sumra. A big thank you to our two guests on this week's show, the reigning WBC featherweight champion of the world, Mr. Gary Russell Jr., along with the amateur standout and now under defeated prospect Mr. Willie Hutchinson. I'd like to just apologise on behalf of myself and I as we've had a few minor technical issues during this show so I apologise if the listening and the audio was a little bit difficult at times. I apologise for that. The biggest thanks of all goes out to the listeners as always. Thank you so much for making this podcast what it is. Enjoy your weekends people and we shall see you all next week.